being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Thank you, buddy. <clears throat> All right, sound room, am I on on my mic here? Y'all may have to adjust it a little bit, beloved. I'm still trying to get my voice back. <laughs> For some of y'all, that's a blessing. Um, I do appreciate everybody's prayers on behalf of my wife and I. We're going through this. Would you the stuff that's going? Breathing is one of them. <laughs> kind of nice to be able to do that. Um, but we appreciate your prayers. Appreciate Brother Ken jumping in. Uh, I mean, literally the last minute Wednesday night when I saw that I just wasn't going to be able to be here. And I really do appreciate all y'all's prayers on our behalf. And we're going to be talking today about specific Thanksgiving, the four things that we need to be thankful for, beloved. Um, you know, we, we have so many things that we need to be grateful for. How many of you noticed this morning when you come in the building that there was a two- to four-year-old kid holding the door open for you and handing you a bulletin? Isn't that neat? I, I, I was just so touched by that. We have such dedicated teachers at this congregation. And, brethren, that is part of bringing children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, as the Bible says. We don't need to wait till they're 13 to teach them to serve God. Amen. And, and so we're blessed in so many ways, and that was just one of the many today. I, I, I spoke with a guy a couple years ago, and I never will forget this, because this gentleman, he was a good Christian, but he was going through some really, really hard times, and it was one of them times in his life where it wasn't one thing, it was just five things that hit him from all over the place from different directions. And he, and he said to me, not in a mean way, but just very honestly, he said, I really can't find much to be thankful for this year. And, beloved, I understood where he was coming from. But if we're honest, if we really look at things the way they are, we can't find much not to be thankful for. Even in our crises, even in our tragedy, you know, the blessings are still abundant and constant from God. Maybe we don't see them at that moment, but they're still there, you know. And, and, and God even, as the Bible says in Romans eight twenty eight, that God even is working all things out for our good. That means the good and the bad, even the tragedy, even the crisis that we're going through, brethren. Uh, you know, the, the Bible says in different places to be thankful even in those times because God's working in those to make you a better person. And so, brethren, I, I love the song that Frankie sang at my request about count your many blessings because we need to do that but the truth of the matter is it's an ongoing job but we could never get done doing that could we god has blessed us so very much but we have become so accustomed to them that we take them for granted we see them as sort of an entitlement or a right and and we don't see them as as blessings from god sometime and we ought to i want to talk this morning coming up on thanksgiving week i want to talk about specific Thanksgiving, because I believe most Christians hopefully are thankful, not to the degree maybe we need to be. We always room for improvement, but but we we are generally thankful for how many of us. I, I know I do this when I pray, but how many of us when we pray say, "God, thank you for your many blessings." You know, thank you for your the way you shower blessings on us, and that's good, brother. Nothing wrong with that. But there are times also when we need to get very specific. In, in being thankful, and obviously we could do a, a series on this if we tried to talk about our specific blessings, but, but I do this morning, for our sake, want to look at four great blessings that we possess, or friend, if you're not in Christ, you can possess them if you will, 
and that the scripture uh, uh, suggests that we, uh, that, that the scripture states that we should be thankful for. And, and again, brethren, this is in no way an exhaustive list because we could be here for several weeks doing that. Um, we need to be thankful, first of all, this morning for God's unspeakable gift, as Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 9, 15. If you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and... Um, and, and it just says there in verse 15, we're going to look at the context. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, brethren, um, they, it contains instructions about the collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Poor saints elsewhere were digging deep to give to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the apostle was very impressed with this and, impre- and is encouraging them to finish what they had begun in doing so. And so Paul reminds them, and then he reminds his brethren about God's abundant and continued blessings towards them. And this is the reason they give in return. If, you, if you're there um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at the context, brethren, in verses 8 through 15, okay? And again, Paul began this thought in chapter 8, but in chapter 9, verses 8 through 15, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 9, as it is written, he scatters abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for your liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. And it always should, brethren. When we give to God for to God's cause, it should produce thanksgiving in us. And then he says in verse 12, so for the ministry of this service is not only fully supply, supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Be, he, he said, you know what? If you give, you should be thankful. If you receive those blessings, you should be thankful. And then he says in verse 13, because of this proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And then, having said all that, he says, he concludes by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, brethren, we could probably almost say that all of God's gifts to us are indescribable. Um, verse 15 in the King James Version says God's unspeakable gift. New American Standard and others say indescribable gift. The Greek word is actually, in our um, language, inexpressible. Why is it why is it an unspeakable gift, see? Brethren, there are some things that are unspeakable because a person has been told by God not to speak about them. We see that in a um, couple of chapters over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, where Paul, uh, through a vision, is taken to heaven, and he said, God showed me things there that he will not permit me to speak about. That's not this. That's not this context. This gift is unspeakable because we lack the words in our human vocabulary to describe and express its wonder and its worth. Have you ever been that way? You just wanted to tell somebody something and and you had such deep feeling and and you were so grateful, but you just couldn't find the words to adequately describe 
what you were wanting to describe. Brethren, that's what's going on here. Paul says he's trying to thank them for their giving and, and their generosity and their own poverty. And, and he talks about God gracing them with certain gifts. And then he says, thanks be to God for that indescribable gift, the one that human words can't hardly speak about. Some scholars say the indescribable gift here in our context where super, re, refers to the surpassing grace of God in verse 14. And brethren, I have, no, I have no problem with that. God's surpassing grace is indeed uh, indescribable, isn't it? It is a wonderful, marvelous thing. But if you look at the two chapters combined, I believe Paul is describing the gift that was prompted by God's grace. Not just his indescribable grace, not just his wonderful grace, but the gift that, that was prompted by God's grace. And the reason I say that, brethren, is because Paul brings this up in chapter 8, verse 9. Just flip back like one page, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, and he says there, um, he says in our text, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What, and then he goes on to say, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. What is the indescribable gift of God's grace, brothers and sisters? Is it not his gift of, of Jesus being nailed to that cross of Christ as he says they're becoming poor even though he was rich and he did it for our sake so we could be saved from our sins? Brethren, no wonder that is an indescribable gift. How, could you, how can we adequately thank God for nailing his son to the cross? How can we do that? We, you know, what kind of mercy and grace and love would compel the Creator to sacrifice His Son for us undeserving sinners? That's a wonderful gift. But we cannot hardly describe it. But one thing we can do, brethren, we can accept God's indescribable gift. We can get right with God, be saved, and serve him faithfully. And, and that is the greatest gift by far any of us will ever receive, brethren. We can name a lot of gifts at Thanksgiving that, that we, you know, can be thankful for, a lot of blessings, but that is the ultimate one. Number two, we should be thankful for our freedom from sin or sin's consequences. Brethren, we understand we're not sinless. I don't even need to go there today. We know that. We're not talking about that, but we have freedom as Christians as we remain faithful to God from the consequences of sin. When you surrender your life to God, when you're baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, you're set free from sin's penalty. Romans 6 verses 1 through 8, if you would turn there, please, describes this in a marvelous way. And, it, and, and this is the Bible says we should be thankful for this, okay? Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? In, in these verses, Paul is clearing up a misunderstanding amongst these new Christians in the early church. And he said, what, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be, verse 2. Some of them say, God forbid. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him 
in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now listen to this, brethren, in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And so what should that response be, brethren? When Jesus took our sins and took them to the cross and, and died there for us, then, then we don't have to suffer the eternal penalty of sin now. And so uh, what should be our response, okay? Verse 17, as he describes to this, he says, but thanks be to God. It needs to be, we need to have a grateful heart. But thanks be to God, verse 17, that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And so, brethren, we are no longer slaves to sin as we walk in the light. And so do you appreciate that you're no longer a slave to sin, that you're no longer held in bondage by Satan and lost and hell bound? Are you thankful that you're no longer that way? Do you thank God for freeing you from sin and giving you eternal life? Listen to what he says in verse 18 of this context, okay? In verse 18 he says, And have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And then verses 22 and 23, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, revolt, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, do we understand the eternal significance of what we just read? Do we really understand that? That I mean, because our world tries to t downplay this, but the Bible does not. If you're not in Christ, friend, and you are lost and hell-bound, and deservedly so, every one of us. But God gives his son to die on a cross, and when we're baptized into Christ, we participate in that death, burial, and resurrection, and our sins are washed away, and we're no longer under the eternal penalty of sin. And so he says then, uh, thanks be to God. Do we understand that? Paul deals with this later on in Romans chapter 8, and, when he, and, and he talks about his sinfulness, and he says in verses 24 and 25, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? And then he answers his own question, and he begins that phrase with thanksgiving. Thanks be to God through, whom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was in Romans 7, brethren. And, uh, and, and so we need to have that same kind of gratitude and appreciation for that. And then thirdly this morning, and any one of these are a lesson we could, any one of these points we could just ponder on all week, and I hope you do, but number three, we need to be thankful for our victory over death because of what God did. Because Jesus became poor so we could become rich. Because God nailed Jesus to the cross and we've been baptized into Christ now. And, and then we can be thankful for our victory over death. As 1 Corinthians 15 verses 54 through 57 says. Turn back to 1 Corinthians there, okay? You all are very familiar with this, I'm sure. In fact, all of chapter 15 is dealing with the resurrection of the dead and the kind of body we're going to have. But, but he, he sums it up for us in verses 54 through 57, and this is what he says here, okay? But when this perishable, talking about this human body, will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, since Christ is raised from the dead, the Bible says, so will he, we be also. And though, now, now, friend, for those who remain in sin, there is a sting in death. This is the whole point of the lesson here in the text of our, that we just read in verse 56. There is a sting in death. Hebrews 9, uh, 10, 26, and 27, verse 31 tells us about that. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the only one, brethren. There's no other one. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's what we have to look for, okay? And then he says in verse 31, as he, as he concludes that, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Beloved, if you refuse Christ, you know what to expect. The Bible makes that plain. You know it is certain, and you know that it will be absolutely terrifying. In fact, Revelation 6, talking about the return of Christ, talking about what's going to happen then, and he describes it in verses 15 to 17, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And this is what they did. They, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. And hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne um, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Beloved, they ain't going to be hiding for no hiding from God. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Only those who are right with God. That's who. Friend, if you're not in Christ, you have good reason to be terrified of death and the, and the judgment to come. But, uh, but Jesus makes all the difference in the world, doesn't he? That's why verse 57, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, But thanks be to God. Because of Christ and his sacrifice, the Christian can now laugh in the face of death, beloved. The Christian should not fear physical death. We might fear the way we might have to die, but we shouldn't fear death. We can say, death, I don't fear you. I laugh at you. I welcome you. Your sting is removed in Christ. You have no power over me. I am victorious over you. Death is simply the door we go through in order to go into all of eternity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Christian can look forward to death and realize um, and, and that because it is going to be a release from this life of trouble and heartache, and hardship and the struggles that we have in this body. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 tells us that. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home at the Lord. That's the way Christians ought to live, brethren. Philippians 1 verse 23, the apostle Paul says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. It is, brethren. You see, the funeral of a faithful child of God should always be a time of rejoicing. Amen. Are you thankful for victory over death? If you're in Christ, you should be. If you're still in sin, you can be by coming to Christ. You see, because, brethren, the, the Bible says in verse 56 of our text, the sting of death is sin. So Jesus, by his crucifixion on the cross, took the stinger out of death for the Christian, for those who come to him and serve him. And then, brethren, I'm, we're almost done. Fourthly, I'm thankful for our home in heaven. Because Jesus died on that cross. Because Jesus saves us from our sins when we obey him. 
because of all that, we can be thankful for our home in heaven. I've had people say, well, what happens after death? You may have heard that question. After death, what then, you know? Well, the Bible um, tells us that, you know. There's a secular song that was back in my day, and that's going to age it, but it says, is, is this all there is to life? No. No. Thanks be to God. No. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, then there's no afterlife, and then this life is indeed vain and hopeless, and Christians of all people are to be pitied. But he goes on to say, but there is, because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. And we are also, and, uh, and so uh, he says, there is a resurrection from the grave. Is it any wonder that, that the unbeliever often lives in despair, brethren, because they don't have that hope of heaven? They have a certain and terrifying expectation of the judgment to come, as we've read. But that's not so for the faithful Christian, brothers and sisters. We're, we're traveling towards our home in heaven. After death, what then? After death, the, the Christian goes home. The lost go to hell. But they don't have to. And the Bible tells us, brethren, that, that the, and, and, and Terry used this in part of his communion. We didn't coordinate that. Maybe God did. It's a prepared place, right? It's a prepared place. And when God prepares something, it's going to be good. Amen? It is a prepared place. John 14, verse 3, Jesus says to his disciples as he's getting ready to return to heaven, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare that place for you, I'm going to come again that where I am you can be also. Isn't that marvelous? Hebrews 11, 10 and 16, talking about our father Abraham, as it were, for he was looking for a city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. He said he wasn't looking for one on this earth. And then it explains it more in verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Oh, beloved, are you grateful for your home in heaven? Do you look forward to that wonderful homecoming? Do you? Are you anxious to get there? Heaven is a prepared place, brothers and sisters. So the question is, are you preparing for heaven while you're here? Friend, if these magnificent, undescribable blessings are not yours this morning, they can be. But they're all found in Jesus Christ. And you need to understand that God sacrificed his son on a cross and now offers you this indescribable gift to you as well. If you're willing this morning to repent of your sins, confess Jesus to be your Lord, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, then you'll be set free from the penalty of sin and from the sting of death. And as you remain faithful to Christ, you will have victory over death and you will inherit an eternal home in heaven. Those are just a few of the many, many, many blessings that God has given us. Our response should naturally be to have a heart full of gratitude always towards him and to show it by living for him. If you're not doing that this morning, we would encourage you to make that right while we stand and sing. Well,